Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance for health-conscious people like runners, cyclists, strength trainers, vegan, vegetarians, and anyone that's living a healthy lifestyle. Rewired Radio is sponsored by Health IQ, and Health IQ will help you feel like you're getting the best deal for your life insurance. Go to healthiq.com slash rewired to support our show and to see if you qualify for a great rate today. This is Rewired Radio with Erica Spiegelman, addiction and wellness specialist, motivational speaker, and author, helping individuals, couples, and families regain a sense of control, leading to personal growth, wellness, and a more fulfilling life. Here's Erica Spiegelman. Welcome, everyone. I'm so excited uh, for our next guest. Um, You know, a lot of us know that playing a sport professionally requires so much discipline and hard work, but it can also take a tremendous toll on your body. And for some athletes, using painkillers is the norm, but it can absolutely get out of control and very fast. My guest today, Randy Grimes, is a former professional football player whose career spanned 10 years with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Randy spent over 20 years battling an addiction to pain pills that he developed while in the NFL. Randy is here today with us to share his story and talk about the work he does helping athletes and anyone struggling with addiction to find a path of recovery and freedom. Randy, welcome to the show. So excited to have you with me today. Oh, thank you so much for the opportunity. I'm very, very grateful. Well, I'm grateful for you. You're you're giving, you know, other other people who are, who are who are you know experiencing what you experienced, um, you know something to relate to and, and a voice and and you know I just I, I salute you for that. Um, can you tell us a little bit about you know y- your story and um, you know what it was like being a professional with all that pressure and and how the pain uh, p- pill addiction started. Well, and I will, and let me start off by saying, you know, we're getting to see a lot of what athletes go through with injuries just in the Olympics, I've noticed over the last yeah. half, so a lot of people have gone down, there's been a lot of injuries, I hear commentary about athletes that are just now getting back from four years ago, and the injuries that, that they sustained in at the last Olympics, so, you know, that's kind of the things that I went through. My addiction started while I played for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And, you know, Erica, I'm one of those people that had no history of substance abuse Mm -hmm. in my family. You know, nothing immediate anyway. There might have been distant relatives that that had different issues, but nothing really immediately. And and really no problems all through high school and and even at, at Baylor University where I played four years before the Bucs. Um, mm-hmm. so, but when I got to the box, one of the things I was always really good at was shutting my mouth and listening to people because I wanted to know from the older guys what they did that kept them around for so long. How were they successful? Because it was so obvious when I left Baylor and got to Tampa Bay that football was now a job. It wasn't a sport anymore. And, you know, I wanted to feed my family. I wanted to be the best center that ever played the game. I wanted to play the game on my own terms and play for as long as I could. And one of the things older guys taught me to do was do whatever it takes to stay out on the field because, you know, you didn't want to get that reputation of being 
a guy that's always hurt, a guy that's always right. in the training room, a guy that the doctors are always looking at, talking about, mm. the coaches are talking about, you right. know, because you never get away from that reputation. So, you know, that warrior mentality that all males are raised with, you know, that's passed down from our fathers, from their fathers, and, mm-hmm. you know, as you just, uh, you suffer in silence, you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you get out on the field and no matter what, you stay right. out there. And one of the things that I did was take handfuls of uh, opiates every day right. to get out there. And, you yeah, know, and, I justified you know, it. Yeah. yeah. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, it, it, it it's like it's the stigma of being a weak man or being too fragile or, you know, if any anything that, you know, involves self-care. I mean, whether it be emotionally or physically, it's like we, you know, stra- like slap on a label on, on a man as being weak, you know, and that's and it, it is to your detriment. It's to, to the men's detriment because it obviously affects them, not in your case, physically, but I'm sure emotionally, too. You know, we can't ask for help. We can't say we're we're, we're disappointed or frustrated or, or in pain or sad, you know, none of that. So anyway, I was just well, and, and and the pressure to yeah, perform pressure. at that level is you know it's it's undescribable because I know that if I'm not out there in my position, somebody else is going to be. And right. It's just a matter right. of time before they take that position from you. So you know, I did, I, and and you know what, you justify it so easy back then mm-hmm. because, like I said, I, I wanted to feed my family. It was a job. I wanted mm-hmm. to be the best center that played the game. You know, I wanted to be out there every snap. And, right. you know, it, it just it just kept snowballing. And, and really, you know, I had so many enablers in my life. Then. I had so many team doctors, team trainers, teammates, fans. We even had an open drug safe at the Tampa Bay wow. Buccaneers during that decade. So even if... Wow. Nobody was giving it to me. All I had to do was go get it myself as I walked right. out of the building every day. So, you know, wow. it, it, that's incredible. You know, you look at it like, well, okay, team doctors are giving it to me, so it must be okay, right? You know, of course. Uh, older players are doing it to stay out on the field, so it must be okay, right? You know, that's the kind of things that you say to yourself. Absolutely. And, um, you know, it just it kept snowballing. I didn't see it as an addiction. I looked at it like a necessary evil of the game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, but then, you know, your body becomes physically addicted to that, you know, um, and, you know, at that point, it's, uh, you, you know, your brain kind of convinces you that, you know, we're in denial. And, and even if you have an inkling or an instinct that there is something wrong and you are addicted and you don't feel good without it or you don't, you know, you can't be normal, quote unquote, without the drug, you know, we may know that that's, there's something wrong, but if it's normalized by, you know, your peers, if it's normalized by the doctors, if it's, you know, something where it's easily accessible and the pressure it's, that you're under right and the pressure it, it makes for such a disaster as you said it's it's unbelievable yeah well and and the 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 progression of this thing my last two years in the league i was taking only i mean not only a handfuls of opiates but handfuls of benzos too and i mm-hmm. was playing the last two years of my career in complete blackouts Wow. I mean, I would be home on the couch after a one o'clock Sunday NFL game that I'd played every snap in, and I would be laying on the couch, and I would finally start coming out of my fog, out of my blackout, and I'd be 
you know, cut, bruise, beat up, scrape, dehydrated, all the things that you are after an NFL football game and not remember a single play from wow. that afternoon. I would have to wait till the next morning and watch it on film with everybody else to see how I played. And, you know, I always played good. And it just That's allowed crazy. the chaos to continue another week. So, you know, right. I've only recently started talking about that because, you know, God bless me with so much ability and talent and the, mm-hmm. the opportunity to be in the right place, the right time, in front of the right people, my whole right. sports career. And, you know, the last two years of the greatest gift that was given to me, other than my sobriety, was I played in a blackout. Right, you know, I know. So the, I, know. I had but, to but deal now, with that. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, now t- having the courage, which you do, the courage to share this, which is, uh, you know, very much appreciated, I'm sure, by many and myself, you know, helps other people. I mean, other people are going through years of their life, which they do feel are precious too, regardless of what they're doing. And they do miss out on kids' birthdays and, and you know, I mean, so many things. People stay in these kind of, you know, um, these fogs for years and years and years and miss out on a lot of their life moments, you know? And, and so, I mean, right. how, so did anybody notice for in your family, anybody notice your, your teammates, peers, I mean, especially during these blackouts, did, did anyone say anything to you? How, how did you come to sobriety? Well, and I wasn't really sharing about these blackouts and, you know, my wife would see me come home and lay down on the couch and go to sleep, you know? So that was a normal thing after a game, after mm-hmm. the week, uh, after practices all week long, you know, it was not normal for a person to come in and just crash on the couch. So mm-hmm. she really didn't pick up on anything until I, until I started talking about it right towards the end. But that was after four or five years of this chaos. And, and you know, I retired from the game, and I never really expected to take all that behavior into my retired life. But once I retired, I realized I couldn't stop. Mm-hmm. You know, the injuries were just getting worse. The uh, tolerance was just getting higher. And mm-hmm. uh, it just became a disease about more and more and more. And that became my full-time job at that point was keeping my addiction going. And mm-hmm. because, you know, Erica, the crazy thing about my disease and about a lot of people's disease is that no matter how many houses or cars or jobs or relationships that I lost or money that I went through, I couldn't stop doing what I was doing. And, um, you know, that went on for another 20 years and Mm -hmm. I left a huge path of destruction behind me, Mm -hmm. you know, seizures Mm -hmm. because of withdrawal. Um, all the money that I went through because of the opiates. I mean, it was just chaotic for so long. Rewired Radio is sponsored by Health IQ, an insurance company that helps health-conscious people like runners, cyclists, weightlifters, vegetarians, and anyone choosing to live a healthy life get lower rates on their life insurance. Go to healthiq.com slash rewired to support our show and to see if you qualify. 
56% of Health IQ customers save between 4 and 33% on their life insurance. Health IQ can save their customers up to 33% because physically active people have a 56% lower risk of heart disease, 20% lower risk of cancer, and 58% lower risk of diabetes compared to people who are inactive. If you like saving money on your car insurance for being a good driver, Health IQ can save you money on your life insurance for living a health-conscious life. So see if you qualify today. Go to healthiq.com slash rewired. It's hard to describe to people who haven't experienced these things, and I've been on the front lines working with people in addiction and recovery for you know a decade now and i i've seen such like you said destruction and damage and you know it's and it's it's just self-betrayal and it's very it's very exhausting and and a place of hopelessness for millions of people the fact of the matter is is that there is hope you know somebody that is battling an addiction of 20 years 30 years 40 years i mean and i have seen that you know can come back can turn their life around you know repair for sure um it's just a matter of i think I don't know. You, you, you know, you tell me willingness and even if you're not willing in the beginning, uh, an open mindedness to try. Well, and, and everybody would always tell me I have to hit my bottom, but it seems like every bottom I hit had a trap door in it and it always uh-huh. went lower. And I, you know, I think it was a combination of things there at the end, you know, combination of uh, seizures every day, uh, a good friend that I played with in Tampa passed away doing the same thing that I was doing, you know, combining opiates and benzos because of his uh, injuries that he, that he got while he played, he was still self-medicating. Also, you know, it was uh, an opportunity from the NFL to get help. It was the perfect storm of things that happened that finally was my bottom. But, you know, it was when I got to treatment, and I remember coming into treatment, and I crawled in. When I flew, I flew into Fort Lauderdale, drove up to Wilson Beach, and when I got out of the car at the treatment center, I was so sick, and I crawled in the doorway on all fours. And, oh, my gosh. You know, it's, uh, I, I, the only thing I remember about that night, about admitting to rehab, was I, I remember hearing somebody say, Randy, in order to get this, you've got to have the desperation of a lonely man. And as a kid, I was an eight-year-old kid in Tyler, Texas, and I remember almost drowning. I got caught underneath one of those paddle boat things. Huh. And uh, I, I remember how desperate I was to claw my way back to the top of the water. And I knew at that point that I was in for the fight of my life. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. You know, and and I've always considered myself a pretty tough guy. You know, I've won a lot of battles in the NFL against some really, really good players, some big, bad dudes. Mm -hmm. But you know what? Taking that, crawling in that door at rehab Mm -hmm. was the Mm -hmm. most fearful thing that I've ever done. It's the hardest thing I ever have done, yeah. but right. it was, it's definitely the most rewarding thing ever. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, really that the story of yours, I mean, is incredible. And, you know, I think, I think a lot of people, whether they're crawling literally on their hands and feet or they're figuratively crawling, like we, we all have to get there somehow like that, you know, where we just are, are so tired, so tired of it all. Yeah. Um, Right. Yeah. So, so tell us a little bit now about what what you're doing to to help others. I know you're the director of behavioral health 
right, of uh, or business development and behavioral health, uh, Palm Beach or uh, Palm Beaches, it's called. Right, of, of yes. Palm Beaches, right. Well, I, about seven years ago, I started a program uh, in conjunction with the NFL and Major League Baseball. You know, I can remember the last day of my career uh, at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Sam Wash, he used to be the coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. He coached us uh, the last mm-hmm. few years of his career. And I remember him walking by my locker one day and putting his hand on my shoulder and saying, Randy, we won't be needing your services anymore. Wow. And I remember yeah. thinking, I remember thinking, and the season was just over. This was like on a Monday after the last Sunday season game. And I remember thinking, really? This is how it ends? You know, mm-hmm. uh, all the blood, sweat, and tears that I've left on fields all over the country. Mm-hmm. And this is how it ends? You know, mm-hmm. since the mm-hmm. fourth grade, every year I've played football. Wow. And yeah. this is how it ends. And I remember raking everything out of my locker into a black trash bag and walking out the back door. And, uh, you know, it's not like I expected to have a street named after me or, uh, or, uh, no, but it's your identity. I, it's your identity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's what I was getting to, you know, that when I wasn't Randy Grimes, a football player anymore, I didn't know who I was for a long time. I had no sense of self, no, no self-worth, yeah. right. no, no, you know, I, 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 I I forgot. I, I didn't even know how to be a husband or a father or a neighbor or an employee unless I was mm-hmm. Randy Grimes, the football player. And I struggled with that. I mean, there was a lot of underlying issues with me for a long time. And it right, wasn't right. until inpatient treatment that I dealt with those. And, um, you know, that's what we do now, you know, with these guys. We bring them in. Of course, we get them clean and sober while they're here. You know, they get a good, safe medical detox. But we deal with that loss of identity that you were talking about, that we try to restore that self-worth. You know, we deal with their underlying issues. And not that athletes are that much different than anybody else, but there's there's little differences, you know? Mm -hmm. And and to, Mm -hmm. to, to go through this process with other athletes that are suffering just like you Mm -hmm. are with some of the same symptoms, and maybe have had the same experience through their addiction and playing days, you know, it helps. It helps a lot to go through with somebody like that. You know, people ask me all the time what I miss most about the sport, and it's not so much playing as it is about being in that locker room. I miss the Mm -hmm. camaraderie. I miss the guys. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. what they get back. They They get to get camaraderie as they go through this process, and it's huge. It's Mm-hmm. one of the biggest factors. I mean, we've got a great medical staff. We've got great therapists. But it's that camaraderie and guys, you know, that can relate to each other going through this process together. That's amazing. So it's called Behavioral Health of the Palm Beaches, just so anybody that That's is That's correct. Um, in West Palm Beach, Florida, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Beautiful in West Palm Beach, yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. And, and you know what, there's, you know, I mean, athletes, it's kind of like, you know, I get people that come out from, um, of, uh, the military and, you know, again, that camaraderie, that community, that identity. I mean, there's, there's a lot of, you know, people that are listening could probably have, you know, feel a lot of parallels to that. I mean, no matter what 
kind of profession you are, we, we do, we do have so many underlying issues, like you said, um, that lead us to, to where we actually wind up. I mean, there's, there's so many physical, psychological, emotional, spiritual, mental, you know, layers um, of, of what causes our addictions to, to start. And then, of course, what causes them to continue. Um, so, right. you know, it does it does really help to have professional help there. Therapy, you know, the inpatient centers, outpatient centers, uh, sober coaches, whatever it is you could find or do. It's just important to start. You That's know. right. Take that first yeah. step. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so now, I mean, and, and you know, you can find you yeah. find. I'm sorry, you you find that with first responders, you find that with uh, veterans. Right. You know, anytime you can get peer groups together, you know, you find that they relate so much more oh, yeah. to each other, and more work, more work gets done in the short amount of time that we get to keep people. And uh, yes. and, and whether it's twenty year olds, you know, that that relate to each other, whether it's uh, an older, an elderly group that can relate to each other. It just seems to work better. And um, mm-hmm. I think that's the advantage that we have with athletes. But, you know, athletes are not my only passion or concern. You know, it's everybody. And working with yeah. families, you know, I, I believe that when families get well, addicts get well. So I love to work with families and helping them regain mm-hmm. their lives and their healthy boundaries and everything else. And then I think that we as addicts respond to that. Absolutely. It's, I mean, it's a family, you know, it's a family system disease, if you want to call it that, or at least it's, it's the effects of it bleed into the family. And, you know, a lot of the family members don't even realize sometimes to the extent of their enabling or the dance has been going on so long that, you know, you really have to I mean, at least when I work with families, I, I say to them, you know, this is what you have to do. And they're like, I don't need to do that. I'm not the one with the problem. And I'm like, you know, but you, you right, need to, right. you need to, you need to understand what it is to have boundaries because it will help. It will help not because you don't love the person. So it's just a, you know, a relearning and restructuring of things as well for the families and anybody that, you know, offers family therapy and family help. It's, it's, it's so incredibly helpful. Oh, my gosh. And and you know this as well as I do. How many times do we go out there and speak and ask people who's been affected by addiction? Every hand yeah. goes up. But yeah, how many people, hand. how many of those people have buried their head in the sand thinking that if they just don't acknowledge it, it'll go away, or it's not their problem, it's somebody else's problem? And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of that is the stigma that's associated with this disease, and I think that mm-hmm. we as advocates, we as people that work with families, we need to continue to, to break down that stigma that's yeah. associated with addiction. Well, I always say to my clients, you know, I have a private practice and I say to my clients, you know, and they, they seem like they're a little bit um, embarrassed by the fact that they can't drink or they can't do this. I, I say, you walk in that room and you meet someone new and they ask you why you're not drinking or, you know, whatever it is. And, and you say like, you know, with, with pride, with a lot of pride, like I'm proud that I have chosen, chosen a path of health. Like that is something that is, is incredible and takes courage. And, you know, so it's just reframing things for people because that is the truth. You know, it's just a matter of them seeing it like that and not listening to that stigma, not letting that the effect of society or whatever old story has been out there that if you choose not to drink or you choose a healthier path that you're weak. I mean, that's ridiculous. It means that you are courageous and strong and people will respect you for that and they will admire you for that. And they may even take the next step and try it themselves. But it's all about how we, you know, feel about that. Right. 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 That's 
perfect way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's in a lot of this is the reframing mentally. You know, I always talk to people about narratives and reframing the way we think about ourselves and our choices. And most of the time, I think choosing sobriety is the most, you know, I think highest level of a choice you can make in terms of, you know, if we call it a vibration, a way of living, I think it's like, you know, the most admirable, in my opinion, because they're just choosing to change for the better. And that's, you know, I mean, that's something that I think everyone should be proud of. So. Yeah, I, I hope. And, you know, in, in, inpatient treatment saved my life. It really yeah. did. And I needed, yeah. I was here for 90 days, and I needed every second of it. As a matter of fact, when the door hit me in the rear end, I was scared to death. So I got in sober living right close to my facility, and I would come back on, even though I wasn't admitted anymore and wasn't a client, I would come mm-hmm. back on campus every day and just pick up cigarette butts just to be around my safe place, mm-hmm. my safe people, people who could see my eyes and hear my voice every day, and yeah. people that I couldn't manipulate. I just didn't trust myself yet for a long mm-hmm. time. And mm-hmm. uh, I stayed close because I was desperate. And I think we all, I think we all, all of us who do get sober and have some long-term sobriety finally get that gift of desperation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it is a gift. And I really, I, I, I so applaud what you do. And I could, you know, you're so authentically connected to uh, your path right now. And you know what, no matter what, I think this is your path, whether you know, you started as an athlete, but really, what you're doing now is 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 your purpose, just as much, you know, and so it's, well, thank it's an you. And it took me a long time to realize that football is yeah. not who I am. It's just something that I did. And this is so yeah. much more rewarding and it's also life and death yeah it is it is and i'm happy you know i mean and i'm not singling out florida but i know that at least i mean this is a whole nother conversation which maybe you could come back for because i don't think we have enough time but you know those pill mills of now hopefully should you know starting to crack down people that were prescribing these pills and opiates so freely um our systems have gotten a little bit better i know some hospitals are, are trying not to give out opiates as much anymore so i mean you know i think it's changing in terms of it, that's a whole nother side of this story but but you know well, from I, what i, I that's a whole nother story because then we have to go into the whole progression of uh, pill mills drying up, and then what happens? You know that. So, but well, then you know, people it's a turn start. to heroin, right? But people turn That's to heroin. Right. That's right. Yeah. Right. And, and I know that it, was a, a, a major. Yeah. It is a start. It is a start. And I mean, and, and so, you know, I, I have a lot of clients that, that will come from different states that were that those pill mills and where things like that were really you know, wiping out tons of people and, the, you know, and so, and so now I think, and, and more than ever now, insurance is allowing more people to go into treatment. I just think this, this whole recovery world is changing. So for everyone that's listening out there to, uh, you know, try and seek help, I think a lot, a lot more insurance carriers are providing treatment for longer periods of time. And so, and, and there's so many more resources these days. So let's, Randy, let's tell everybody... Let's tell everybody, yeah, where, where, where can everyone find you and obviously get some help if they need it? Hey, you can find me uh, at uh, my Facebook page, Randy Grimes, or Facebook page, Athletes in Recovery, Ooh. or find us on the web, which is B- Behavioral Health of the Palm Beach, and it's bhpalmbeach.com. Wonderful. That's that's so great. Yeah. And we'll have all the information um, up on our site at Randy. Such a pleasure to meet you, to be connected to you. And uh, I hope 
I hope we stay in touch and hope to have you back again. Thank you again for the opportunity, and I look forward to it. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to Rewired Radio on Radio MD. I'm Erica Spiegelman. Thank you all for joining us today, and stay well.